Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Oil Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Chris Beasley and Gavin Buckland as we look back on Everton's 1 0 defeat to Wolves on Sunday afternoon. That moved the Blues ever closer to the dread of the relegation zone. We'll also look back on Ever- the relegation picture in general after Watford and Leeds both picked up huge victories on Sunday afternoon at the same time which Everton were being beaten. And we'll also look ahead to Thursday's huge Premier League clash at home to Newcastle United. That is simply a must win. But Bees, I'll start with you. You're a Goodison Park Esty for the Echo covering yeah. the game. It was a pretty sombre afternoon, wasn't it, for all concerned with the club? Yeah, it actually um, started out quite promising in that um, Wolves hardly had a, a sniff um, first half. They did sort of threaten as, as the half went on a, a little bit. Everton uh, made a lot of the early running without necessarily carving out a lot of clear cut opportunities there were a few decent crosses got into the area couldn't quite get on the end of it but um at half time the game was very much uh, in the balance with the hope that Everton could maybe push on in in the second half and uh, go on to to nick what would have been obviously an, an all important victory for them but instead it was this same old story um wolves built up a head of steam very quickly after the break and obviously when Connor Cody, former Liverpool man, scored what was uh, the only goal of the game and, and there was no way back. A um, few half chances, few opportunities for Richarlison, offside flag went up a number of times. I perhaps could have gone better in a couple of times, but toothless in an attack once again. And it's very concerning given that, you know, I wouldn't say yes, yesterday was a must-win fixture. I think it would be very difficult to say a team that's won just two games out of the last 20 as it is now, to expect them to win two games out of two. But I think that hopes were high that these were two fixtures that Everton could possibly take maybe at least four points from. Well, they're even going to get three at very best now, aren't they? And uh, especially with those other teams around them picking up points yesterday, all of a sudden it's got very close indeed. Gav, you were also a good person yesterday and... I know you're someone who's been concerned for quite a while now that the, the Blues, you know, do, do face the, the dreaded relegation that are dropping to the Championship. Yesterday's done nothing to the East them fees, and if anything, the early silence that was around Goodison Park a full-time kind of spoke volumes in that a lot of other fans are now deeply concerned that the club state, Premier League status is, is at risk. Yeah, spot on. Um, at the end of the season, you're just hoping that you don't look at this as a pivotal afternoon where we've lost and... Leeds and Southampton are both both won. Um, and as you say, I was thinking about this. We started the the afternoon off with a period of applause for Gordon Lee, who this last sort of 12 months of his reign was very fatalistic about things. He said, used to say, like, there's not a lot I can do as a manager. I, I'm either succeed or I don't succeed. 
and there's not a lot to do I can do about it. And you, you just got the impression at the end of the game yesterday there was a certain amount of fatalism with with fans, you know that the silence spoke for volumes of volumes that actually we're going down here, and there's not a lot we can do about it. And uh, as much as that is unpalatable, there was an element of truth in that, and it was a bit of a strange atmosphere of both inside and outside the grounds when you got outside normally. This season, when the teams had a bad home defeat, there's been all sorts of, you know, stick being given out. Some of the players got a little bit bought in and around the the director's box, but it was sort of silence yesterday, which is very worrying. And uh, I, I think that was just as much for the results elsewhere as the results and performance at Goodison. Well, we'll stick with you there, Gav, because looking back on, on that silence and the, and the way things transpired after the game, do you think that's as, as worrying as anything that you no, know, there's we keep hearing about rallying cries from the players and Frank Lampard to the fans about you no know, making good a real fortress and and the fans are certainly doing their part, but the way some certain fans yesterday you know appear to, to accept the inevitable could well happen, is that just as worrying as anything that it's almost becoming the, the expectation of Everton you no know, will find themselves the championship next season? Yeah, absolutely. We spoke, I think lots of people have spoken about the importance of home games, given our absolutely Dreadful away record. Um, so home form and home atmosphere are seen as a vital um, tool against fighting relegation. But as much as you can say fans were silent, players have got to give them something to to sort of be excited or enthusiastic about. And I think there was only that happened only twice yesterday when the Wang was sort of. <laughs> rolling off and down the pitch. <laughs> so, said to somebody, but he said, like, about the Wolves before the game, said the Wolves manager said, you know, that the support here is, is massive for for Everton, uh, you know, keeping quiet <laughs> the first sort of five or ten minutes. One of their plays is winding up the crowd. I think that was the first one. And then the second one, which I just thought was typified the afternoon, is Townsend came on and run after three Wolves players in the second half, and the crowd was. You know, um, applauding for that basic thing. And although it's easy to say, oh, the crowd were quiet and, you know, oh, this is not great. Well, if I was to support them, at least give us something to hang on to. And we we did very little of that yesterday. There was very little passion, very little enthusiasm shown, apart from two or three exceptions. And totally understandable why the crowd would react in, in that manner, to be honest with you. Bees obviously, you know, ahead to kick off when the team news drops. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, Frank Lampard made a few changes after Monday's hammer at the hands of Tottenham. They were to be expected in many ways, but the way he sets his team up, going back to two midfields, Alan drops the bench. Was you surprised by by, by him going back to the five and the two midfields? Do you think it was the, the right thing mm-hmm. to do? I'm certainly surprised about not going back to three in midfield, which has become seemingly universal. The, the the demand for that and you can understand why um i've been crying out for it for a long time and they just didn't have the personnel available and then they they tried against manchester city okay ultimately a one nil defeat which has been well documented and was very unfortunate but against the best team in the land that they gave a, a real good go and seems to be that more balance in there he looked like he was continuing that at Tottenham, but and as Gav mentioned in the last podcast, you know, Decore was playing in a more advanced role, so that was different and that didn't work. So he thought, yeah, he'll go back to that maybe against Wolves. And yeah, they were they were totally overrun, I thought, in the middle of the park. Wolves were pulling the strings there. 
and that's because they didn't have that, that that extra man that they they seemingly need. So I can understand the reason why he's put an extra defender in there after the shambles. And I was there and at Tottenham, and it, and it was a shambles. It was fortunate that they got ahead by so much so early because that allowed them to put the foot off the pedal last half an hour. So yeah, you can understand again why he's gone for five defenders, albeit he will say you know the two full backs, as it were, and more wingers in that type of formation it can be an attacking formation when you've got the ball but um yeah overrun again in in the, in the middle of the park and um just want to see a, a third body in there it was interesting obviously he'd, he'd rung the changes after Tottenham and Allen was one of the players who'd who'd missed out there I mean you'd, you'd like to hope that he'd be back first because the likes of Andre Gomez and Deli Ali although their alternatives, if you know, much more attack-minded, they don't sort of give you that extra protection. And they, I, I think they've surely got to go with, with three in the middle. Now everyone can see it, and I know Frank sort of experimented with different formations and has given people opportunities in different roles. I, I, I think you've got to go with three in the middle now. Gav B spoke there about being over on the midfield and and then he fought three midfielders. We've seen the last two games, you know, the, the players are going for a lot of criticism and rightly so, you know, the performance has not been great. But do you think Frank Lampard has got a shoulder from the brain for the last couple of performances and, and results because the way he set the team up, it's not it's not being very convincing, has it? And I think he, he certainly set the team up. You could almost say he got he got the, the lineup wrong in terms of he should have set up the way he did yesterday at Tottenham on Monday and the way he set up at Tottenham on Monday yesterday afternoon. Yeah. Do you think he do you think he needs to shoulder some of the blame for what we've seen over the last two games? Said that after the Tottenham games, didn't we? Um, Frank's come out fighting, I think, and sort of, you know, criticised the players, not as individuals, but collectively, Ben, actually some of that um, weaknesses down to his own team selection. Happened to a degree yesterday. We started the game with uh, five players who have had all had lengthy spells at full-back for the club, which is half your outfield players which um, speaks volumes. Um, I, I get why he decided to do that yesterday, because we'll he decided to sort of match Wolves up, uh, to be honest with you. And and I think it's all right saying you've got three, you need three in midfield, but the two that you had yesterday don't do the jobs properly, which he didn't. Then it's pointless having three, is it? You're just wasting it. Um, that person probably best employed elsewhere on the pitch. I thought both Van der Beek and Decoray were poor yesterday and, and I don't think the midfield performance is down for the fact that actually we were a man short I thought it was just as much to the fact that our two in midfield gained no control the core eight to me is and that's not his role either uh, he, he's been way off the pace I wouldn't like to say he's been hiding but he um, needs to show a little bit more and Van der Beek is it's an interesting one this isn't it does, is a player on loan from another club when you're in the relegation fight the type of person you want on the pitch? Well, that's been a question I've asked because, a lot of Everton fans since the last 24 hours. Yeah, because obviously what's in it for them? And to, to a lesser degree, you could argue Dali Ali as well. Uh, they were both bought in, in January. And I think that that's a key thing. And I, I just thought that those two were just woeful yesterday. Um, we got a lesson, taught a lesson, didn't we, in the, the midfield about control, retaining the ball, passing effectively. 
not sure whether the third player there would have made a lot of difference. Um, you know, if you're going to play two, I would have played Alan as one of them. Um, so I, I think Frank, yeah, going back to your point, uh, I mean, he, he came out afterwards and as you got that, he's had injuries and at certain times and not being able to play in the style that he wants. And uh, I, I get that to a degree, but that doesn't sort of, you know, get, get him out of jail. I'd say certainly query that in, well, I don't know, my game should be in a charge now. Is it eight, is it seven or eight? We must have played, what, three or four different formations in that, but different players in each of those formations. So we've had different back threes and different midfields and different, you know, striking formations. And there's been a lack of consistency in thought in the team selection. I think he could definitely say that over his. Over his time as manager, not just over the last couple of days, uh, Connor, to be honest with you. He's someone who, one player who was on the name of a few fans' lips after the, <clears throat> after the game yesterday was someone who wasn't involved yesterday, and that was Nathan Patterson. Yeah. Questions that continue to be asked around his you know, involvement. We knew were good as somebody he featured for 45 minutes against Bournemouth in, in the FA Cup a couple of weeks ago, and that's the only first team he's had so far since he joined the club in January. Do you think now what the time is to just give the young lad a chance and, and see what we can do and is it a case of you know things can't get any worse and uh, and just see how he does and see how we can try and get, give Evan a bit more energy on the right hand side yeah I mean obviously uh, I've not seen him in training and Frank Lampard does that on a daily basis so I can only go off that very limited experience I've got of, of watching him for those 45 minutes of which I okay taking into account the uh the opposition, it was non-league board and board, thought it was, it was promising. Certainly didn't think he did much wrong. And then we mentioned perhaps um, him and Townsend was sort of going into similar areas at times. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give him a go. I, I, I think that um, I know Seamus Coleman brings so much as a captain and as a personality, but you know he, he's not immune to these defensive problems that Everton have been showing. And particularly at the moment when you're playing twice a week, you know, at 33 years of age, I know he's still super fit and has still got uh, plenty of his pace. But, um, yeah, I think there's got to be a, a time and a place for Patterson to be start coming into the side. And it does seem a bit of a, a nonsense. I know he is one for the future and he's still a young lad, but, you know, he's paid all this money for um, a long-term successor for, for Coleman and, and, and you're not using him at, at all, really. He said, you know, 45 minutes in the FA Cup against non-league as... Um, I'd, I'd imagine both Evertonians and probably Nathan Patson himself would have imagined he'd have a fair more playing time than he's had already. And certainly, given that how badly the team have been struggling, like I said, is you know, is that eight defeats out of nine now in the Premier League this calendar year? You'd be wondering what he's got to do to get in this team. Um, so sort of similar with with Delhi Ali, but I mean, what we've seen so far from Delhi still very much uh, shaking off the rust. Is that one of Everton's problems? Do you think they, they you know, they lost Luca Dean in, in January? They, they brought in, you know, Anwar Gahazi, Nathan Patterson, Vitaly Milenko, Deli Ali, and Donny van der Beek. Do, do you think they've they've made mistakes in recruitment again in terms of they've recruited players who, who simply, you know, aren't players you would naturally put in the position of a relegation dogfight? Yeah, um, probably argue we in a relegation dogfight in January. Um, what have we lost since then? Is it? I don't know. Was it five out of six, six out of seven? Can't remember. Um, 
Yeah, in, in in some respects, but we said about the you know the the, the risk of having an unknown player when you're in an allegation dogfight. Perhaps you may have wanted to look at it a little bit different, but I didn't see anybody saying that at the time. You know, when those players were bought, nobody said, "Oh, we're going to have an allegation dogfight here. We're going to the, we need a different type of player." Nobody thought that. My personal view is that I thought the two full-backs were long-term solutions. Hopefully they would work. Van der Beek would give us a little bit more control in midfield and Ali would give us a little bit more penetration up front. Uh, El Ghazi, I think, we just thought was probably a, a, a loan wasted. So I don't think it was maybe at the time it was thought it was poor, poor window. It's only as time developed after that. But I don't think our results since then have been because due to our January transfer activity, basically all the players who've played all the time were all bought before January, weren't they? Obviously, played the Premier League game. Mikhailenko has probably played a couple. Ali's come off the bench. It's only really been Van der Beek who's, who's had a lengthy spell in the team. So I don't think you can blame January for the the window. In that respect, you may have probably wanted to get a, a, fe- a feisty midfielder, but that's all looking back, isn't it? Really, it's uh, it, it's you always look back on windows and say we should have done better. But at the time, I thought, yeah, it's, it's all right. So it's the form of the players who were there before January that's been concerning me. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. That's just the front derbies, the form of the players who've been here for a large part of this season. That that is concerning. I think one thing that fans have been quick to point out is that things are seemingly heading in one direction, that's the wrong direction. Yeah. Was you surprised yesterday that maybe, you know, with the tennis to go, you know, Frank didn't throw on Solomon Rondom and, and try and mix things up and, and go a little bit more direct and, and try and, you know, battle battle away to an equaliser? Was you surprised that he kind of made brought Delhi on like for like and then Townsend on like for like and, and nothing really changed now it was set up? Yeah, I suppose um Towns were tied a little bit, obviously after John Joe Kenny's sending off. Nobody was expecting that. You know, reckless, really. You know, twice in the space of three minutes to to, to do that. Um, but yeah, he's done a few things that similar to Benitez. If you think, well, if Benitez had done that, you know, Benitez got stick when he wouldn't use all three substitutes, or Benitez got stick when he started with five defenders and uh, fall into um, some of the same similar sort of traps. Re- uh, really, yeah, it was it it, it was poor in that. Yeah, like you said, there was no plan B. There was no alternative when they weren't getting that penetration. I mean, Richardson did get on the end of quite a few things in the hope that he'd have maybe buried one of those chances that he'd had. I know a few of them were excruciatingly late offside flags as well, which didn't help things. But now he's in desperate need of a goal. Um, yeah, there's a lot of players, like you say, are woefully out of form. And it's just all conspired this sort of perfect 
brew for for a, a disaster here and that there's problems up front without a goal in four games now. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, 21 goals last season. Hasn't scored since August. One goal in open play all season. He's been stop-start since he came back to fitness. What's wrong with him? Richarlison, one goal in the last three months in the Premier League. I'll be that. A spectacular strike. It meant nothing at Norwich City, a consolation goal. I just don't know where, where it's coming from. There's no goals from midfield either. Um, Decore, who started the season brilliantly. Um, he's had injuries. He's been in and out. And a lot of people point the finger at him yesterday. And then obviously there's, there's the trouble at the back. So apart from that, um, Jordan Crickford's having a consistent season because he's being kept consistently busy. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. So many players out of form across the pitch. We've debated this all season. I think Gav would probably say they were in more sort of a realistic position where they where they should be. Personally, I think they should be considerably higher in the table. But regardless of where they should be, they are, they, you know, they, they're on the brink of that relegation zone now. They've had a charmed life this past couple of weeks. Three occasions, Burnley could have put them in bottom three and twice he conceded late goals. And now, yeah, just goal difference, keeping them out. So it's all well and good having these games in hand. But, you know, got to win them. And like I said, they're on a downward spiral at the moment. Um, it was mentioned in the press box actually yesterday. Um, somebody said it was a bit like, um, for those of us who remember, in 1999, you'll, you'll remember obviously you have, um, Easter Monday when they lost to, to Sheffield Wednesday. And it sort of looked like a lost cause then, but then it was when Kevin Campbell went on to have that amazing nine-goal spell in something like five games, wasn't it? And he can't expect somebody to sort of pull anything like that out the back, but they desperately need some inspiration from somewhere. Somebody needs to, to, to step up. And some of these players are very much capable of producing some top form, but they, they really need to find it quickly. Gav Bean's touching on it there and saying, I've lived a charmed life in recent weeks. That charm might look like it's going to continue, well, continue on Saturday when you know Brentford scores late twice against Burnley to, yeah. to contend the Palace to another defeat. But then yesterday, I think for me, there was a real eerie silence before the full time whistle. That was Jordan at the first half when the, the latest scores around the Premier League flashed up on the screen at Goodison and Watford were 2 up at Southampton and, and Leeds were beating Norwich 1 0. And the, the kind of the mumbles you could hear from supporters told its own story in terms of many of the kinds of thinking, oh, bloody hell, no one's seen that coming. Did, did that compel matters, do you think, yesterday? The fact that Everton, you know, if it was pause they was on the pitch, events elsewhere, just as would salt into the room? Absolutely, absolutely. I think perhaps we may need to devise our policies, showing results, later scores on the screen, uh, to be honest with you. Um, so, at the same time, it's, it's all about what we do, isn't it, really? If we're, li- if we're lying on results elsewhere to keep us off, that's very dangerous, very dangerous territory. But, oh, yeah, definitely. I think the mood at the end of the game was, was reflecting the fact that two, two people in the round us on the table are both won. One very unexpectedly at Southampton and one very late on against Norwich. So, yeah, absolutely. Those results elsewhere. We, we've been playing roulette, haven't we, uh, with the b- bottom three for about, uh, what, three or four weeks now? And um, it, you know what? <laughs> Certain things happening. I, I was watching match of the day two last night. You know, when something hits you in the face, 
Mark Chapman was saying about Watford, they've got a, a great set of fixtures coming up. They've got to play, you know, like sort of Burnley, Everton, <laughs> you know, and you're thinking, we are now a good fixture to have for the team in trouble. You know, and that, that really hits you between the eyes when that, that happens, doesn't it? And the fact of the matter is, Watford have got a decent set of fixtures. They've got to, I think they've got to play us, haven't they? I think they play Burnley, I think they play Norwich, uh, play Brentford. So all, all the teams around them, they play. I think, I think three of the four are home. So they've got a good set of fixtures. And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, it's up between us and maybe us and Burnley. But Watford have got a great result yesterday. And it's 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 looking more and more like them two games of Watford and Burnley are going to be absolutely massive, aren't they? And um we yeah, it's it's gonna be as much about other teams and as much as us now, but very, very worrying. I thought it was um yeah, it I think those two results yesterday in some respects were worse than the Devon game piece. Uh, it was just Put the put the put put the uh, you know the t- ten ass on it, didn't he? He's got it there that you know results elsewhere. And now Everton needs to you know pay close attention to results elsewhere. Just how kind of demoralised you think that is as an Everton fan, as an Everton player, as you know as an Everton manager when you're relying on results elsewhere and you're looking at the you know your opposition are playing and and in some respects you know what the opposition do might not even be enough in terms of Everton's survival, given given that they're doing their own games that they've got coming up in, in the coming weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever happens between now and May, this this season has been disgusting for Everton. Um, 22 points and 26 games. I mean, we used to say you had 40 points to stay up. They're not, they're not on course to get anything near that. I know that because the teams at the top are so dominant now, you know, it is a lot, a sort, a lot, a lower threshold required to get yourself safe. But what it, it's just appalling, really, that, that this set of players who, I mean, as okay, it was a false position in the other direction, but you know, we're, we're second as recently as Boxing Day last season. I know there's teams sort of like Sheffield United have done things like that in the past, but you know, sort of newly, it's a sort of fall, falls that pattern of the newly promoted team who does well and then falls away dramatically in the second season. But for an established Premier League team like Everton, one of the few founder members of the Premier League who are still there 30 years on from its inception, um, as you know, when the, the English top flight re, re, rebranded. Um, yeah, to be to be in this position, it, it, it's just ridiculous, really, because it, it, it just, I can't see how there can even be like euphoria if you go, oh, well, well Everton survived again and they, they were okay. They, they shouldn't be anywhere near the situation in, in, in my book. And there's the, the various people you can blame. Yeah, the recruitment has been woeful and Marcel Brands has to take his share of the rap for that, as do the various managers who've been through who haven't been able to get a, a tune out of some of these players. But ultimately, I, I did a piece last week seven managers can't all be wrong. The seven managers who've been under Farhad Mashiri and their various different methods and the uh, way they've gone about um, implementing uh, their styles of football, they can't all be wrong. Um, Carlo Ancelotti's now gone back to doing great things at Real Madrid. Um, looks like he's going to win La Liga, could win the Champions League again with them. So he's not a busted flush, despite what we might have thought. Um, uh, Koeman, 
went on to manage a Dutch team and had a spell at Barcelona, as curious as that might have seemed for us. You know, they, they weren't seen as damaged goods by ultimately failing at Everton. Even Marco Silva, I mean, he could end up potentially, realistically, swapping places with Everton. You know, he's running away with a championship with Fulham, playing free scoring football. And, uh, yeah, they've all... these Many of these Everton players have failed under all of these managers. So, at the end of the day, the book stop, has to stop with them and they have to look themselves in the mirror and say, where am I going wrong? Where have I let them down there? I mean, mo- quite a lot of them are internationals as well. Um, at, uh, a trio of England internationals started at Tottenham, Dutch international, Irish international, a Brazil centre-forward, another Brazilian international in Allen. And to be anywhere near this position, I, I mean, frankly, like I said, I, I find it disgusting. Gabby's described it there as disgusting. How do you find, how do you feel how do you think Everton's players get themselves away from danger? What do you think they've got to do? I mean, it's obviously the million dollar question, but there's got to be some sort of soul searching going on at a Finch farm in these next couple of days. There's got to be some sort of project thinking and come up with a plan that will will try and see Everton move, not just the table, but try and get points on the board to you know steer themselves away from the, the dreaded drop zone. Um yeah, somebody said last week is after the Spurs game, you know, was this a wake-up call for the players? And I was thinking the players have had more wake-up calls than I've had in a Monday in December when they've been on the aisle on a, on the Sunday night, you know. Um just um if it's if the message has not got home now, then it's never going to get home, is it really? We've been was it two wins in twenty games, eight defeats in nine? Yeah. If it's not sort of you know, you're not worried now and concerned now. You never will be. I think it's more about the manager and what his response is. And I think what he needs to do is get a set settled formation. This is what we're going to play for the remaining, you know, seven or eight games, whatever it is, twelve games of the season. This is what these are my best players, and this is my best formation. And unless unless there's a massive issue, I'm going to go with that. Because, as I said, we've played too many different formations. We spoke today about, yesterday, about playing long ball and playing it from the back. We were trying to play from the back yesterday. It didn't work, did it? You know, passing them forth between the centre-halves and the goalkeeper. You know, the, the template, I think, probably best would you would use is the, the Manchester City game. 4-3-3, three, 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 three in the middle. And then three, three mobile players up front, and stick with that. Don't get cho- don't do chopping and changing. Where then you, you play four three three, and then you play four four two, and then you play four two three one, and then you play three four three. Get your best, best players, best formation, and stick with that. That's what that's what Lampard has to do. I think it's more on Lampard than the players. To be honest with you, and this goes. I really don't know whether the players have got it in them to motivate themselves. It's quite patently obvious that they, they can't do that, can they? One or two can, but there's, you know you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, bank on a large number of the squad and what you've seen so far since Christmas uh, doing that. So I think it's up to Lampard to basically bring consistency to, to the team selection and the team formation. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He's got to there about get your best players on the pitch. One player who didn't play yesterday, and he's been in and out for some weeks now, is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, you know, Everton's named number nine, Everton's leading centre-forward, like you've alluded to earlier, he scored 21 goals last season. But it's been a real stop-start season in terms of injuries and availability, etc. so far this campaign. But is it alarming that just, you know, something doesn't seem quite right there and something's not quite ticking into motion for Dom and, and when Everton really needs the most, he seems to be a little bit wanting? Yeah, it's a, I think it's been the, the massive, it's massive, it's the biggest sort of year-on-year difference in the side. If you take out somebody, like you say, has scored 21 goals last season, focal point of the attack, who last summer's signings were brought in to sort of bring a supply line and bring the best out of him as most aerially dominant centre-forward in the, in the Premier League. And he's either just not been on the pitch or when he has been, he's not been anywhere near those levels. Um, I think the one thing you do get with Dominic, he's not, unlike um, so many of his teammates, um, I can't question it, it, his character when he is on the pitch. For me, um, you know, he does fight for everything and he always shows the right attitude, but it's just not been... Happening for him, Gav's mentioned that you know when the supply lines dry up, the top strikers like Harry Kane go and sort of create their own chances, and he's quite right in that respect. That as great as Dominic is, when the supply lines are coming to him, and go very quiet when he's feeding off scraps and not really offer you much. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a major concern. You take those twenty-one goals out the side, and um, you are going to be in trouble. Uh, let's say they've. He's start the season really well, free and free, albeit two of those were penalties. But that's you know he's getting getting the goals up early in the season. Then he's had that awful injury; it kept him out for the until the turn of the year. And this is a player who, in the past, has always been very durable and seldom missed many matches. But yeah, I'd, I'd be just as concerned with the, the way it's been for him since he he came back in January. Sort of sort of set the tone that that, that penalty that went high and wide against Brighton and Hull Albion on second of Jan. Been in and out the side since, stop start, no sort of momentum. And like Richarlison, he desperately needs to get a goal. Well, first of all, he needs to get himself fit again. He's, he's ill now. I'm not too sure what um, the illness is, which, which kept him out um, yesterday. But he needs to get himself healthy and back in the side and, and back scoring. Because, you know, that could be the difference. I mentioned Kevin Campbell in 99. Um, don't know if uh, Dominic or anyone's capable of going on a purple patch quite like that. But... Well, a few goals from him between now and, and, and May uh, could could actually make the difference, getting them over the line. Gav B said there about, you know, they, they Everton need someone like Calvert-Lewin to step up. You, you talked there about you know, best players, putting your best players in the pitch and, and Frank Lampard setting up that team. Is Calvert-Lewin one of them best players at the minute? You know, there's, there's, there were real question marks after Tottenham over his performance and, and yeah. uh, all I hope columnist, you know, said that he was concerned that he seems to be jogging his way through matches. He didn't see that type of sharpness. Is he is he one of Everton's best players? I believe if he if he returns fit and uh, and ready for Thursday night. Um, quite patently, not one of our best players, which is saying something. And what you've seen so far, been quite critical of him since he came back from the team. Picking up on B's point to do, but he never, he never question. I suppose is 
perfectionism. Just think there's been something not right as it in his last few performances. Yeah. I, I found that fascinating. The, the Lampard response to the questions about him yesterday. You know, reading between the lines, you wouldn't like to think there's there's a there's an issue there um, off the pitch. Frank was pretty unforthcoming about his illness and equally unforthcoming about whether he was going to be available for Thursday, which I thought was quite telling. So there's, you know, reading between the lines there, there might be something else going on. And obviously there's stories about possible moves. And I just think Calvert-Lewin isn't, I, from what I've seen so far. I'd, I'd rather... That was not ideal. I think Richarlison offers us far more penetration as a centre forward at the moment than Dominic. And um, I think he, Richarlison will create stuff in, himself, which he did yesterday. So, in answer to your question, Connor, I don't think he's one of our better players, which, let's face it, takes some doing at the moment if you're not good enough to get on the team. And I wouldn't like to think there's stuff going off the pitch that's affecting the um, at the squad. And also acting as a you know, acting as a unwanted distraction for Frank when he's trying to keep us up. So yeah, I'm not um the whole thing has been appears to be unnecessary for me, unnecessary distraction. And he, he should have been doing more when he was on the pitch. What the beauty of football lads is that you always get another game to put things right. Well, in, in, in most occasions. And if I have another game on Thursday night, they're coming thick and fast for Frank Lampard's side at the minute as Newcastle visit Goodison Park. Bees, I know you spoke about, you know, the Wolves game wasn't really a, a must-win one in the sense of, you know, you look at Everton's form, etc. But after Sunday, after the defeat and the performance, after Leeds winning, you know, after Watford winning, you show this one, you've got to see this one as a must-win for Everton. Nothing but three points is, is imperative. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna. We thought Leeds United felt big, but given the malaise that has kicked in since then, and that they've failed to to build on that. I mean, even that now, unfortunately, has sort of been firmly put into context about how well Everton played that day, because Leeds subsequently got battered by everyone else for the rest of the month, and that was the end of Mar of Bielsa. Um, so. Yeah, that's unfortunately looking increasingly like an, an anomaly, that result and that performance. So, yeah, it, 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 it has to be, um, it has to be a, a win for, for Everton, really. I mean, they, they've really, I mean, we've got, there's a break, isn't there, after that? Um, obviously, it was the FA Cup game, but then in terms of Premier League fixtures, there's, there's a break. So, um, you want to be going into that on, on a positive result and just, just stopping the, the rot and getting some, uh, some points on the board because you can't just rely on everyone just keep keep losing all the time and especially with those big away games at Burnley and Watford coming up and uh, Everton have to do this themselves and uh, yeah of course it, 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 it's a must win fixture if we're feeling bad now how we're, how we're going to feel you know on Friday morning if they've, if they've been turned over by uh, Newcastle United on St Patrick's Day night Gav but you said they got to stop the rot that's what it's all about Sunday, isn't it? Stopping the rot and, and getting three points in any way, shape, or way they come. Because if they don't, then if there was an early feeling around Goodison on, on Sunday, you'd like to think, well, what will be the post match atmosphere be like if Everton don't pick up three points on, on against yeah. the, the outside? I mean, if you offered me a point now, you know, I'd take it. Oof. 
You know, I, I thought I thought we were playing for a point yesterday. You know, with that lineup, you know, the source at the start of the game, passing the ball around at the back, playing a safe. I thought we set up for a point here. I just think anything will do on Thursday. Win's great, but as we just get you talk about stopping the Ross, and sometimes you stop the Rock with a bit of draw, don't you, Connor? So, just some points on the board will be will be useful at this stage. That's easy said and done. Now Newcastle playing them at the. I mean, they were competitive. I didn't see the game against Chelsea, but believed they were competitive. They're on a great run before before uh, then. I think in many respects they may be a much more of a bigger challenge than Wolves. I mean, we all know what happened yesterday. So it's not a game really I'm hoping for a lot out of. Um, but if we get something, anything, that will be a bonus for me. And it'll just be interesting to see how how Frank plays it in terms of his team selection as well. Bear in mind, we've lost John Joe Kenny, haven't we? I think will that be was it Billy kicking on Thursday? Yeah, I think he's yeah. suspended first. He's suspended. Yeah, maybe an opportunity for Patterson. Interesting to see how we how we how we set out against uh, Newcastle, but yeah, just just anything, anything for me. A point, please. That that that'll that'll do for starters. Um, just just something to hang on to. As you said, we've got some tough, tough fixtures coming up, and this goes back to what I was saying about about six weeks ago. Talking about this, when we say get three or four wins out of eighteen, nineteen games. If you don't win your game, if you don't, there'll be games you won't win, like Man City, you know, and to be, you know, and, and that type of team. And then all of a sudden it becomes three or four wins out of eight or nine matches. And before that, they lost. Probably Wolves is one of them games, isn't it, that you need the points from. And this is another one. And all of a sudden it's narrowing, isn't it? The walls are closing in around you. And so just anything on Thursday will be. Um, a godsend for me after uh, eight defeats in nine games or whatever it is. He's got touched on it there in terms of team selection and, and wondering what Frank Lampard will do, whether he'll, what type of changes he'll be able to make and, and what way he'll set the team up. But if you put you put yourself in Frank Lampard's shoes as Everton manager, how yeah. would you set the team up for, for Thursday night? Would you is it one where you go all to all of attack and, and have a go or do you, do, you, do you do what Gav said there in terms of maybe settle for a point and and look at just stopping the rot and getting the points on the board and, and looking to build from there. I bring in a, a third midfielder, like I said earlier. Um, I put I put Alan back in. So Kenny, Alan, and whether you want to make any other changes, I'm not too sure. Whether he, I don't know whether. I mean, I might give Patterson a go. Given that I've just alluded, they'll switch to a flat back four as opposed to the three centre backs they started at the weekend. I mean, obviously, there's a chance of, does Michael Keane come back in there? I don't know. Um, but, you know, you could put Patterson in for Coleman, given that it's a midweek game and you're going to Palace on on Sunday. Plenty of alternatives on the wing if you want to give one of them a rest, but I don't know if you do want to. And like I said, there's the Calvert-Lewin factor up front, but for me, get that third body in, in midfield. It's ironic, really, given that... that I know this game is obviously arranged um, twice, rearranged now. Is it? I was at the Leicester one. I'm just trying to keep up with all these COVID uh, fixtures, but um, obviously with this one being arranged, there was the away game at Newcastle, which sort of proved to be the turning point in their season. They they looked like they were dead and buried until they they beat Everton in in uh, what was Frank Lampard's first Premier League game in, in charge, and that sort of that was like a double whammy because not only was it 
I wouldn't say that one was a must win for Everton, but it was a must not lose, which they did lose. And they sort of pulled Newcastle back in from the Maya, really. And they've just built on that. And uh, I'm in a very sort of comfortable position compared to where they were for, for that game. Whereas, like you said, Everton have, have, have gone backwards. But for, for me, given that what I've seen in, in the last few games, I, I'd, I'd go with the, the three in midfield. So that would mean 4 3 3 for me. Grab yourself. Have you got any uh, preferred formations that you'd, you'd like to see on Thursday? I think 4 3 3. I think Alan was on the naughty boy step yesterday, wasn't he? <laughs> after uh, after Chelsea, after yeah. Tottenham. Yeah, yeah I'll bring Alan back. Yeah, I think I don't see the point of spending all that money on Patterson and not playing him in a Premier League game at some point. Perhaps it might be a game to, to play him. Um, I think you're obliged to give Damari Gray some. Game time still, though he flattered to deceive yesterday. Richarlison up front and 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 uh, Gordon on the on the right for me. I mean, we, we we've got a paucity of options in some some parts of the pitch, haven't we? But I think that's what I'd I'd go with, and then just um, just take it from there. Is it, is it is it is it alarming? No, I mean this is a question for both of you. Is it alarming? No, that. You know, even Everton's bad performances so far this season, and and the, the struggles, and and the, the the want and the will to change and make and freshen things up. That it always seems to be the same players that you know, as, as fans and as, as reporters, etc., who, who we turn to. You know, if there's there's like there's a lot like Algarzi, for instance, never really you know get to mention in terms of coming in as an option. Rondon, Gomez. You know, if you're is it is it almost embarrassing that them that's just not even under consideration given how poor Everton have been having. Having the struggles that they've had in, in recent weeks, let alone so far this season. Me and Chris will be waiting for half an yeah. hour for the person to answer this. You yeah. say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think when we're looking at Anthony Gordon being one of the, the saviors of the team, I think we've you know somebody who's his career's not really started as such. I think you're in a in a in, in a bad place if you if you're relying on. Don't know somebody like Decore or Alan to fire up the midfield. I think likewise, and 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 you are right. We are, we are. You know, we're holding on to some of the shortest of straws here. I thought yesterday, last ten minutes, you got to stick Rondon, haven't you? You only made two subs, and Frank said himself after the game he needed to go long. Well, stick Rondon. Um, he, somebody's been. You know he's been the, the, he's been a bit of a load of stick this season, but actually, like yesterday, he seemed like quite an attractive proposition to get him on the pitch, and you know it could be something on 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 Thursday as well. But yeah, you, you are right. I mean, Chris will know because it's probably closer to me. But yeah, it our uh, narrow selection in terms of who can take us forward speaks volumes really in terms of the number of players that 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 relates to. Yeah, well, Rondon maybe could be, you know, his former club, isn't it? Um, that'd be that'd be a, bit of a turn up, wouldn't it, if he uh, he scored the, the crucial goal against them? But yeah, and it's 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 you know, like you say, having to depend on the likes of Anthony Gordon as much as he's had this you know standout sort of breakthrough season, just twenty one years of age. Um, it was interesting actually when we I. Spoke to him as part of you know a piece we did with the Sunday papers at the weekend, 
wasn't me who actually put the question to him, but um, you know, I was in, I was in there, and he was asked, "Does he did he fear Everton the prospects of being relegated?" Straight away, the most emphatic he was all in the whole interview, "No, not at all." He said. So is he is he deluded, or is he seeing something that we don't? Is he, you know he's not browbeaten by all what's he's seen over those years? But it was it was interesting that you know he just didn't see it. He just doesn't think that Everton. He doesn't fear the relegation where you say he's being naive or whether he's just ultra positive and sort of confident that you need to be in these situations. But, you know, he, he was adamant that, that Everton aren't going down. He, I think that, they, you know, there's maybe 30-odd thousand of us who just sort of wish they shared his confidence. Right, then, lads, to finish with, then, obviously, the, it's a big game, a must-win game. And what are your score predictions, Bees? What are you going for? Well, I, I, Gav said he'd snap your hand off for a point, didn't he? But... Uh, I, I, there we go. I've, I've just said everything's disgusting. It's appalling. They should be doing all this and that and the other. But I've, I've got, I've got, I've got to think that they're going to do something at, at at some point. And um, what should I say? I'll I'll, I'll say uh, two one Everton. Gav, uh, I've got if get sticked on. I I think. I feel we'll get beat on Thursday because I think if we get beat at home to Wolves, I think we've got to be, get beat at home to Newcastle on the form that they're on. So my score prediction of one all is totally optimistic <laughs> and may be found to be relevant on come Friday. So I'm 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 going with that, uh, to be fair. But I can't see us can't see us winning, to be honest with you. That will be if it is, that'll be one of the great goodest nights of recent years. You know. But yeah. A very, very optimistic one-all draw for me, but I fear the worst, uh, Connor. Well, I'm going to go with bees. I'm going to be totally optimistic and yeah. back up boost to get back to winning ways, getting getting climb up the table and put a spend everyone home with a smile on their face, but we haven't seen for a long time. That's all we've had time for this week. I'd like to say thanks for Gav for joining me. I'm Chris Beasley. We'll be back on Friday to discuss Thursday's game with Newcastle. Look ahead to the FA Cup clash with Crystal Palace and take a look at the relegation picture after another round of midweek Premier League fixtures. But from us, thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.